Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we humbly come before you this evening thanking you so much for the many blessings in our lives, especially the wonderful weather we've had today. Lord, we praise you for the time that we can spend together fellowshipping with each other and enjoying your word together, listening to your spirit's enlightenment of what you have for us this evening. Lord, thank you so much for uh, the way that you are orchestrating things in, in the world, in our lives, in uh, the church. Uh, it's amazing because you look around, it's very evident that your presence is there. Falling into place today as far as the end times are concerned, uh, what you have told us and recommended to us and, and, and actually told us what we should be doing, we do, and we find out that's the right thing. And it's amazing, but it's not really amazing because you're God and, and we need to pay attention to you. So Lord, thank you for all of that. Appreciate the food and the time. Lord, thank you for being with us as we study of your spirit and light in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, uh, the Marcy monologue. This first one, really, really very good. He's talking about two particular verses that are coming to pass today very clearly. First one is 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. It says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And the other one is Romans 1, and that's one of my favorite ones because it, it just portrays our life, our life today in this world. It says in Romans 1, 28 through 32, it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. Well, that's in the Bible. Yeah, it's in Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Does that characterize what we live in today? I'm afraid it does. Um, one of the things that this, this particular article is talking about is we're moving into madness. I agree. We're entering madness brought on by mankind's turning its back on God. Seems that uh, what's right in the eyes of their father, the devil, is what they're trying to do. He's got a sentence here in this, in this article which says, the venom that has the vast majority of mankind infected and affected, infected and affected, by the reprobate mind, the upside down thinking is basically righteousness found only Lord Jesus is the only antidote to that. The vast majority of mankind is infected and affected by that reprobate mind. And I agree. People just don't think right. They can't think right. They're incapable of thinking right. Now, says down here, and this is interesting too, he says he's got, he has a couple of articles that goes to the causes of that and to the effects of that. And so I mentioned some of the causes here. One of the causes, of course, is a sure sign of the acceleration of the collapse of society and the increase in psychopathic, psychopathic behavior is the fact that they turn, have turned away from God completely. We have a distorted moral value system because we're paying no attention to what God wants. And that's the cause why things are going south so quickly. And he lists a whole, I'm not going to read all of these things, but it lists a whole bunch of stuff that we, we're all aware of. But how crazy is this? Women who object to men who say they are women competing in women's sports. Weightlifting, even. Can you believe that? <laughs> Guy walks out, you know, yeah, I'm a woman. <laughs> Just that. Um, adults who object to schools sponsoring drag queen performances for six-year-olds, you know. Um, all black dorms on college campuses are anti-racist. What? what? That's what they say. 
they say objecting to racially segregated segregated dorms is racist. Sounds like it's racist to do it to me, but anyway. Oh, if it was all white dorms, oh, that would be racist for sure, yeah. Um, those who want to build walls or fences to prevent people from illegally entering the country are xenophobic. <laughs> yeah, that's the deal. Or until we drop them off in their in their neighborhoods. Xenophobic. It just means just afraid. If we have fewer police officers, the cities are safer. That's retarded. No, it's reprobate. Uh, marriage is a product of patriarchal misogyny. What? It wasn't created to protect and honor women, but to exploit them. Marriage. That's what they say. Scientists who express skepticism about catastrophic man-made global warming are science deniers. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's just so stupid. We are witnessing the prophesied movement into madness because of what's going on. Absolutely. Now, that, and that's the cause. The intervention will come, and it will come instantly. And the intervention to all of that will be in my opinion, will be the rapture. Because when the rapture happens, uh, it would just blow everybody's mind. It's just, it's just amazing. It would be really something. It'll be like we are in the days of Noah, just like the Bible says. It will be as is, as was in the days of Noah when all people eating and drinking going about their normal lives and all of a sudden, bam, Christ will be here. So anyway, I thought that was an interesting article. The madness is here. It's upon us. Uh, also, the Thin Ice article is talking about the Biden administration skating on thin ice. And what he's talking about is what they're doing with Israel. Biden administration is talking to Netanyahu about splitting up the land, as he's always done. Um, let's see. Biden is, is Biden really so ignorant? that he would think giving Palestinians part of the land will soothe them and keep them from attacking Israel. And the answer to that is, of course not. What is their goal? It's not to have any, any soothing going on with Israel. It's to wipe them out. That's what they want to do. Kill them all. Saw an interview of uh, some people walking up to Palestinian kiddos, five or six years old, and they were interviewing them. And they said, tell me, what do you think? And these are little kids that speak English. Tell me, what do you think of the Jews? Oh, we need to murder them. Six-year-old. So they're taught. Um, so the idea here is that uh, the Lord has already shown his displeasure with the fact the American presidents have pressured Israel into giving up land. It says in Joel 3, 3 chapter 3, not to do that. God says he's very upset about that. They're very several correlations between natural disasters striking the U.S. and what the presidents have done in the past. One website lists over a dozen occurrences of God displaying his displeasure when America tried to intervene and split up Israel. So I can look that up for you. But anyway, that's why he says the Biden administration is skating on thin ice because we're going to do it again. And that's really not a good idea, obviously. The world's mindset basically in regard to Israel tells us that we're in the end times because seven year tribulation is to address that. So we're there, we're close. Now this one, this one really is interesting and I, I want to see what happens. It's in the 2024 solar eclipse is going to happen on April the 8th, right? And it will cross the United States and, uh, Oh Yeah. But the deal about this is, this has a relationship to another solar eclipse that occurred on August the 21st, 2017. And these two eclipses are seven years apart. Exactly seven years apart. And what's interesting about that is, the pathway of the sun across the United States makes an X. In other words, it goes across this way, and then it goes across this way, and it makes an X. Seven years ago, that X, was on a place called Cairo in Southern Illinois. 
and a city nearby is New Madrid, New Madrid, Missouri. This year, it's going to cross within 100 miles of the same place. Now, this happened back in 1811. There was a, two solar eclipses, one on September 17th, one on December 16th, and they crossed at the same place. And what happened, let me read you this paragraph. As the New Madrid earthquakes happened, when those, when those two solar eclipse pathways met, they were the biggest earthquakes in American history. This is in 1811. They occurred in the central Mississippi Valley, far, felt as far away as New York City, Boston, Montreal, Washington, D.C. President James Madison and his wife Dolly felt them in the White House. Church bells rang in Boston. So from December 16th to March of 1812, that's over, over several months, there were over 2,000 earthquakes in the central Midwest and between 6,000 and 10,000 earthquakes in Missouri, where New Madrid is located. In the known history of the world, no other earthquakes have lasted so long or produced so much evidence of damage as the New Madrid earthquakes. Now, three of the earthquakes have lasted so long and produced so much evidence of damage that uh, they're the list of, of America's top earthquakes. They measured 8.1, 8, 7.8, and 8.8. .8. Now, remember, earthquakes are on a logarithmic scale. So if you have a 6 on the logarithmic scale and a 7, the 7 is a 1,000 times worse than 6. An 8 is a 1,000 times worse than 7. Doesn't it have something to do with the depth of it, too? The depth will make a difference. Like, I we listened to Jack Hibbs the other day when he was talking about they were standing there and there was an earthquake while yeah. he was preaching. Was and he didn't say anything about it, but everybody in the, in the place was pulling out their, their phones and going, oh, no, we saw an earthquake. He said it was an earthquake. That was nothing, because he said it was deep. It just kind of shook a little bit. Yeah, you guys from California, you wouldn't be surprised by it. He said, if it was bad, if it was a surface earthquake, it would have shaken the building. It would have bounced you up and down pretty good. But he said, that was nothing. <laughs> so, live in California, I guess you get used to earthquakes. Anyway, what he's saying here, the upcoming intersection of the X across the United States on April the 8th, could point to a, another catastrophe in the months ahead. It could. If it was true in 1811, it could be true now. Is it just an uncanny coincidence or something more... Ominous is what this guy's saying. Is, yeah, it's same place. It's New Madrid, Missouri. Yeah, it's the center of the nation. It's like just a big X on the United States. Missouri's almost in the middle of the U.S., you know, so it's kind of scary in a way. So he's saying two things here. First, we live during a time of unprecedented moral decay in the United States. So could this be like a warning that God's going to judge a little bit because of that? It's possible. Second, he said, live in the shadow of the seven-year tribulation. So this, those of us who believe in the words of biblical prophecy, this could be a shaking saying, it's getting near, wake up. I think that's probably true. So April 8th, 2024, solar eclipse may not be the Lord's final warning, but it sure could be a big warning for something. So let's, let's just pay attention on April the 8th, right? Should be interesting. Okay, now Dr. Duck. He's always good. This is Dr. Damon Duck. He talks about the two-state solution also. This is a big deal because Israel's going through what they're going through. They're having tremendous success, by the way, in wiping out Hamas. And they're doing tremendous damage to Hezbollah in the north. They are doing very well. It's taking a long time because they have to keep finding things. They're finding new tunnels. They're blowing them up. They're finding new weapons, uh, manufacturing locations, and they're blowing them up. They're finding a bunch of terrorists, and they're giving themselves up. I'm wondering how <laughs> Muslims do that. I mean, it doesn't make sense. They shouldn't be doing that. Muslims, actually, if they die in battle, it's supposed to, they're supposed to have, go to heaven and have 72 virgins and all that stuff. You know, you've heard about all that stuff, but apparently that's not true because they're giving themselves up. Like somebody once said, no, it's not 72 virgins, it's 72 Virginians. Yeah. <laughs> With guns. With guns. Yeah. So anyway, uh, one of Israel's military bases, Netanyahu said, the war continues, it will continue until the end, until we completely 
complete, when we complete all our goals. The return of the abductees, the elimination of Hamas, the elimination of Hamas, the assurance that Gaza will no longer pose a threat to Israel, that there be no mistake, we will persist in the fight on land, at sea, and in the air until complete victory. So he's not going to stop. And I think that's great. I like that. Um, he's also said, and it's interesting, some other things that are going on, on here. They're always criticizing Netanyahu about how he's managing the war. People do that within Israel. And that's, I think that's, well, obviously you'd expect that to happen. Netanyahu said recently that uh, his removal from office would divide Israel. And he says that uh, those who speak of the day after Netanyahu were talking about the creation of a Palestinian state. So see, even within Israel, they want to split up the land and give it to Palestine. Palestinians, which is just silly. Uh, there is no peace with Muslims, is the point. And Dr. Duck says, Israel must stop relying on the U.S., the European Union, or any other earthly entity and start relying on God. And by relying on God, I do not mean rebuild the temple, and I've got something to say about that in a little bit too, and resume animal sacrifices. I mean, repent of their sins, except a Jew called Jesus as their Messiah. <laughs> That's exactly what they need to do. So here's some things that he mentions here. Oh, this, you'll love this one, and I'm not going to read it, all of that either, but they're saying now, look out for disease acts, right? You heard that? Oh, yeah. Okay. They are already developing a vaccine for it. It hasn't appeared yet. They don't know what it is, but they're developing a vaccine for it. Of course they are. That's what it's for. It's exactly what it's for. The so-called experts who are warning the world about disease X are not named. Their research is not available. We're expected to believe what they say, with no question, which is just scare tactics. And they're truly, clearly trying to get control of healthcare for everyone. And I think what you said, keep the election from happening. Because if they can make us afraid, that means we stay indoors and we won't go out and vote. Uh, concerning the government and world religion, Pope Francis, this, this guy, he supports the globalists of the New World Order. That's a good idea. He's also a servant of the globalist, globalist elite. I've seen pictures of him. You may have seen this, him bowing down to some globalists. The Pope bowing down to them, kissing their hand and bowing to them. Rome will lose the faith and become the seat of the Antichrist. And let me mention to you what I think Revelation teaches very clearly is that the Pope will become the head of the new world church. And that's what the Antichrist will want in the first three and a half years of the tribulation. He'll want a world church that everybody has to go to. Just like England set up the Church of England, this will be the church of the world, and the Pope will be the head of that. And then at mid-trib, that's when Satan possesses the Antichrist, and he says, no, I want you to worship me. And that's when they kill the Pope, and everybody has to start worshiping Satan. No, it means the Pope is the servant of the Antichrist. See, there's the, there's the Antichrist, there's the false prophet, and there's the woman riding the beast, actually the head of the church, the world church, and that's the Pope. Then they'll kill him at mid-trib. And then the false prophet will say, everybody must start worshiping the Antichrist. And that's when the Jews all head for the hills. Read Matthew 24, it says, when you see that happen, run. Get away because he's going to come after you. That's when it says God actually sends them someplace, and we think it's Petra. We don't know that for sure. It's not in the Bible, but he sends them to some safe place and protects them for the rest of the tribulation. And then the Antichrist gets mad at that because he can't kill the Jews, so he turns his anger on the Christians. He starts killing all of them. Yeah. And there'll be a bunch of converts in the tribulation. A lot of people have turned to Christ. And they'll be martyred for their belief, most of them. Again, that's from Revelation. Uh, General Guterres, who is the uh, head of the UN, is saying he's calling for a global government, surprise, surprise, and a multipolar global order. Never saw that before. He's saying uh, we need, uh, he wants global governance 
with teeth. In other words, so they can edict anything they can to anybody in the face of the earth. Uh, and that's the head of the UN. So we know where UN stands. Okay. Then, uh, now this is a good one. I have never heard of this lady. She is a uh, award-winning author and blogger. Her name is Laura Wellington. Maybe somebody's heard from her, but she actually attended the World Economic Forum meeting a couple of weeks ago in uh, Switzerland. And she came away there with these observations. She said, I hardly see any leaders. What I see is a bunch of egomaniacs on a mission to ruin our planet. Yep, makes sense. The decision to leave God out of the event, focusing instead on, his, on the creation. And what does Jesus say about that? People will start worshiping creation. Just the creator. And then she said, God has dealt with this type before and he'll do it again. So they never win. She's right about that. Imagine all the good these people could do for humanity if they weren't held in on taking over. Amen. Throwing God out, controlling every thought of people's heads. She said comments uh, were prompted when she saw the pagan ritual that they did at the beginning of this meeting, and it blew her mind as the pagan nature of it, the worship of Satan, terrible things they did. And that's when she started writing these things and publishing them. I've also noticed that, like the new president of Argentina went to the World Economic Forum and chewed them out for being globalists and shouldn't be doing what they're doing. And then several other people did the same thing. They actually stood up and mentioned to them, they're all a bunch of egomaniacs and they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. I'm glad that people have the guts to go there and stand up in front of all those very powerful people. They might end up getting killed still, but we'll see. Now, this one's interesting. Um, in September of 2022, a rancher in Texas said he had five red heifers and he wanted to donate them to Israel because Israel needs red heifers. Why? Well, back when the Jewish temple was there, you had to go through a purification ceremony to be a priest. And the purification ceremony meant you had to go get ashes from a red heifer and mix it with a bunch of other things and create a, and basically an anointing oil for the priests. And if you didn't have that anointing oil, you couldn't be a priest. Okay, so the descendants of Aaron, the only ones that can be priests, he's a Levite, but also specifically a descendant of Aaron, those are the only ones that can be priests, had to go through this ceremony. Okay, now, when uh, the Romans came in, they not only destroyed the temple, they killed all of the red heifers. So they wiped all of them out. So if the Jews wanted to build a temple, they had to have red heifers because you couldn't, uh, I guess the right word would be, uh, it's not, what's, what's the word I want? They have to, have to go through the purification rites, I said, to become a priest. And you have to have the red heifer ashes to do that. So in 2022, this Texas uh, rancher had these red heifers and gave them to Israel. Now they, they have to be, remain pure until they're a certain age. It's like three years old, if I remember right. And they will reach that age right about now, 2024, first part of 2024. So what we're saying is those red heifers that they got are now ready to be sacrificed because they're perfect. What does that mean? That means the whole heifer can have one single white hair supposed to be red. And they have some that way. So what does that mean? It means they're, it says here, Israeli government has discreetly shifted funds to prepare for purification services and possibly the construction of the third temple. They're already designating money to do it. And that's pretty cool. Is that, uh, is that just traditional or is that biblical? biblical? It's biblical. Oh yeah, it's biblical. Oh yeah, it's in Leviticus. Yeah, but you bet. It's there. Um, I might have the reference here. I don't think I see it, but I, I can look at that for you. In 20, on January the 14th of 2024, a spokesperson for Hamas was being interviewed on TV. He said bringing red cows to Israel was the application of a detestable religious myth that ignored and hurt the feelings of the Arabs. So if he's saying something like that, you know it's true. No, they wouldn't be saying something stupid like that. Who would, why would they care about red cows? I mean, they, you know, they didn't know the truth. So the arrival of the five red heifers 
and Hamas warning that they posed a threat to the Al-Aqsa Mosque, which is on the Temple Mount. That means they are, they're afraid of it and the Jews are serious. So that's another step toward building the temple. And there has to be a tribulation temple. The Jews build it. They haven't started on it yet, but they're ready. They've already got the, docu- the uh, clothing for the priests. They've already got the menorah built. They've already got the cornerstone. They've got the, uh, the implements that go into the holy place. So they're ready. Now, it's going to be interesting what they do. They don't have the Ark of the Covenant, so I uh, don't know what they're going to be doing. But we'll see. Or we may not see. We may be gone. We may not be able to see that. Let's see. <laughs> this is funny. On January 18th, it was, it was reported that the military can no longer meet its recruiting requirements. So basically now they're saying that... Uh, you don't have to have a high school education to join the, the military. And also, they are finding out that some white men are refusing to serve in the military because it's discriminating against white people. That's a funny one. That's a funny one for sure. Also, <laughs> U.S. citizens must show a passport or a valid ID to fly into another country. On January the 24th, very near here, it was reported the Biden administration is seeking ways to let illegals fly without a passport. Biden's trying hard to protect Hamas terrorists and illegal aliens more than he's trying to protect Israel, of course. And let's see, two or three more here. Jill Biden said she's sponsoring an Easter egg decorating contest at the White House, but you cannot put anything religious on the Easter egg. Nothing about Passover, nothing about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's, that's foreboding. <laughs> Boy, are they blatant in their... In their don't know. That's, they're, they've gone over the, over the hill. They're crazy. Concerning wars and rumors of wars on January 18th, Amir Sarfati listed now there are eight areas of conflict that Israel is facing. First, Gaza, the West Bank and Lebanon, Iraqi militias, Iran's conflict with Syria, Iraq, and Pakistan, Yemen's conflict with the U.S. and, and the U.K., Russia's conflict with Ukraine, China's threats against Taiwan, Turkey's attacks on the Kurds, and North Korea threats against South Korea. So wars and rumors of wars are really, really turning out. That's amazing. Also, uh, the Biden hunters, Biden hunters, uh, Hunter Biden's laptop from uh, from hell is what they call it. Uh, the White House is now saying that's a bunch of garbage in a Russian plant. Of course, the Department of Justice also said on January the 18th that the laptop was real and it belonged to Hunter and it's not a Russian discrimination. So the inside of the administration, they're just they're fighting with each other. Yeah, it's real. No, it's not. Not surprising once again. This is an interesting thing. Um, just recently, and I, re- I heard about this and read about this too, the Dominion voting machines at Auburn. Let's see. This was two professors from the University of Michigan, the other from Auburn University. We're in a courtroom, and they proved that the Dominion, Dominion voting machines can be hacked. They did it on, on site. They hacked into a Dominion voting machine tabulator in the presence of a judge in court, changing the vote. It was on January the 19th. And one of the professors issued a report in this, in, that this in the past, they had done this in the past, but the Georgia's Secretary of State covered it up until the federal district court judge unsealed it in June of 2023. So that means Raffensberger, I think his name is, the Secretary of State in Georgia, you know, he should be in prison. And on January 22nd, it's reported that Biden spent the weekend at his $3.4 million home in Delaware. Some media is reporting that he has spent 432 days, almost 40% of his presidency, on vacation. And that's about it. We are really in good shape, you guys. We're doing great. We are doing great. They're not doing great. We're doing great. Okay, we are in Luke chapter 8 now. First three verses in chapter 8. 
the, the subject matter of this is the scope of Jesus' ministry. Now, this is an interesting number of verses here. And we can learn a lot of things from this, I think, by thinking about it in different ways than we might have thought about it before. You know, the way humans plan things, human wisdom applied to things, probably would not have done things the way God did as far as Jesus was concerned. He wouldn't have done it the same way. Modern experts on ministry, and there's a bunch of them out there, as you probably know, would not have come up with this narrow strategy that Jesus used. And what I mean by that is, he wouldn't have called for Jesus to stay within the boundaries of Israel. And he basically did almost 100% of the time. He wouldn't have to tire inside him one time, but that was it. He also wouldn't have let Jesus wait until he was 30 to begin his ministry. That seemed like a waste of time. He could have done that earlier. Um, planners today probably wouldn't understand Jesus' rejection of dealing with all of the religiously trained and influential leaders of his day. Of course, he didn't like them at all because they were all hypocrites. He also probably wouldn't have recommended that Jesus would start out his ministry in a place that really was not looked on very well by most people in Israel, and that's Galilee. If you don't know that, Galilee was referred to as the back, you know, other side of the tracks, basically. It was a bad place. It was where the Dumb people lived, the unsuccessful people lived, Nazareth being the key low city in Galilee. But that's where Jesus started his ministry. And that's where we are right here. His ministry actually starts in verse 4 of chapter 8 and goes all the way through chapter 9. And that's his Galilean ministry. That's where Jesus started his ministry. So Jesus also spent most of his time with who? Poor people, common people, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, the outcasts of society. And he did heal everybody that came to him. But why was he doing it? Because he was healing them without regard to who they were or what they believed in or anything. Anybody that came to him wanted healing, he healed. So everybody came. And basically, you could say Israel was disease-free in those three years because he healed everybody. Think about that. Wouldn't that be cool? So... Uh, today we would say most of what he did was counterproductive to actually being successful. But obviously, God's way was extremely successful. Modern experts who think that that way would be wrong would be dead wrong because the evaluation of God's strategy proves that it was really brilliant the way he did it. Working within the limits set by God and Father, Jesus precisely carried out the Father's will. He set in motion the most powerful force the world has ever known, and that's truth. He gave truth to the world. So, over 2,000 years since Jesus walked the earth, the gospel spread to every part of the earth. What's fascinating is the fact that a seven-day week is universal worldwide. Why? It comes from the Bible. Jesus worshipped on the Sabbath, you know, so he ended every week properly. Modern concepts of ministry mimic worldly management theories, management practices. That's designed to have high impact, you know, and be diverse and be tolerant and be culturally connected, right? Jesus didn't do anything like that. Huge amounts of time and money and, and manpower goes into the modern strategies, but no, almost no money at all was spent on Jesus' ministry at all. He didn't have anything. He just went from place to place and people... Provided for him, basically. Now, could he have done much on his own? Of course he could, but he didn't do that. That's not why he came. This brief passage here, these three, first three verses of chapter 8, marks the transition now into the final phase of the Lord's Galilean ministry. That's where he started out. What did Jesus say to his disciples? He said, preach to Judah and what did he say? I can't remember exactly what it says. And then the nation and then the world. Okay, but he left out Galilee because he covered it. <laughs> he did the Galilean ministry in his first few months of his ministry. In these three verses here, we can see six limiting factors, limiting insights divinely imposed on Jesus's ministry. We can see six of them that limited him, but he wanted to do it that way because that's the way God the Father wanted it done. 
one of those limiting insights. First one is sovereignty. The second one is geographic. The third is theological. The fourth is humanly, then socially and materially. So we're going to go through each one of those, and you can see what I mean by these things. These are just interesting things that you probably wouldn't see normally. So the first one is he was limited sovereignly. What does that mean? The first very first part of verse 1, chapter 8, it says, soon afterward, and what that means, that's referring back to the situation we just read about, of how Jesus' uh, feet were washed by the, the oil from that, that lady, and also his, his instruction to the Pharisee. So after that, after that happened, it says, Jesus went on through towns and villages, preaching and bringing the good news. So Jesus was going around, as some of your translations say, he was going around from town to town, basically. And that simply means that by going around like that, he was going around Galilee, cover everything in Galilee. And like I said before, that Galilean ministry goes from 8-4 through the chapter 9. So Jesus did the tasks that God the Father wanted him to do. And the way to multiply a ministry is by teaching people the fact that God leads and teaches, and they learn the truth by that. Not by manipulation or clever marketing techniques or management styles. It's by giving them the truth. So he's, they, Jesus obeyed God. In other words, he obeyed God the Father and did God's way. The second limiting strategy was geographically. And I mentioned that before. He stayed in Galilee here. But uh, one would think he'd stay in Jerusalem. We'd think Jerusalem would be where he might have the greatest impact because that's where everybody was. Three times a year, all men had to show up in Jerusalem to celebrate Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Booths. And he had to do that every year. So literally thousands of people would come to Jerusalem. That would be a great place to preach, right? Nope. He went to little towns in Galilee. It was largely rural. Its residents were largely scorned by sophisticated people in Jerusalem because they weren't educated. And so some even said of Jesus in John 7, 41, they said, surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? I never really realized that they were saying the same thing as you would say about some bad part. You know, he'd come from the east side of Chicago, would he? You know, or something like that. You know, that's really what they were saying. So but everywhere Jesus went, there was a great crowd. People want to hear what he had to say. Naturally, think about it. God in human form is talking. I want to hear what he has to say. <laughs> I don't hear him. Yeah. So despite the limited geographic extent of his ministry, which basically was just the country of Israel at the time, Jesus influenced the entire world through spirit-inspired record of his life and ministry. So we that that's another proof of the Bible's authenticity is the fact that it was written so close to Jesus' resurrection. He says, you know, Mark probably wrote his gospel in the 40s and uh, A.D. And Paul probably wrote Thessalonians in the 40s, A.D. See how close that is to the resurrection? Just less than 20 years. So, authentic. Third limiting uh, factor was theologically and that's in verse 1 also, and it says, uh, well, let's read the whole thing. He says, Jesus went on through towns and villages, preaching and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God, and the 12 apostles were with him. So Jesus did not cover a broad spectrum of subjects in his preaching as teaching. He did not emphasize social or political issues. He didn't even go into that or self-help prosperity things that we talk about today or give advice on social or political issues. What he did convey was proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. It says that in verse 8-1. So to preach the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, same thing, is to proclaim the good news that sinners can be delivered from their sins and from Satan's kingdom. And he did that. Now I'm going to read you from Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It says, 
The kingdom of heaven is like something precious buried in the field, which a man found and hid again. Then to his joy, he goes and sells all he has and buys that field. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who is a, well, is a dealer in search of fine and precious pearls, who on finding a single pearl of great price, went and sold all he had and bought it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet which was cast into the sea and gathered in fish of every sort. And when it was full, men dragged it up to the beach and sat down and sorted out the good fish into vessels and the worthless fish were thrown away. So that's the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what Jesus was preaching. So the scope of Jesus's ministry was limited theologically. He didn't go into great detail about many other things. He just concentrated on the kingdom of God. And honestly, he came to present the kingdom of God so the Jews would accept it, knowing full well that they wouldn't. Right? Because if they had, then he could have assumed his position as king, set up the millennial kingdom, and everything would have been done. They rejected And so they killed him. But he he raised from the dead. So, going back to uh, Hebrews again. I mean, Luke, excuse me. Hebrews is Sunday morning, Roger. Um, get back to it here. The fourth limiting factor to his ministry was humanly. What does that mean? Well, Jesus ministered constantly to huge crowds, granted, but who were his close confidants? Who did he actually minister to on a daily basis? And that was he focused his attention on the 12 that followed him and the women that followed him. Now, that was an unusual thing. Because remember, this is a different era. The rabbis never had women follow him. They wouldn't have allowed it. Women were not considered to be worthy of following a rabbi. I don't understand that, and you don't either. But that's, that's basically the truth. He poured out his life to his people that followed him, focused his attention on that. But then we get into the, the sixth, or the fifth, excuse me, limiting factor, and that's socially, and that's it gets into the women part. His main ministry, which is the 12 that followed, but then he also ministered to women as well. And that means he shouldn't have done that as a rabbi. Rabbis to have women accompanying him was very unusual because most rabbis had a low esteem of women, which is a terrible thing to say. They shouldn't, but they did. And these women that traveled with Jesus had been healed of various things, evil spirits and sicknesses and so on. And they were, they were probably more women, but Luke mentions three. In verse 2 and 3, what does he say? He says, also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases, Mary called Magdalene. Now that tells you right there that the, the woman who actually washed Jesus' feet was not Mary Magdalene, or he would have, uh, Luke would have called her that back then. That's just the previous chapter. So this is Mary Magdalene, from which seven demons had been expelled, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, who's Cusa? Herod's household man. Who's Herod? Herod Antipas, who's the, who's the uh, patriarch at the time. And Susanna. And that's the only time she's ever mentioned in scripture. We don't have any idea who she was or what happened to her. Nothing. And many others. So what's the deal with that? Jesus' actions toward women were what? Politically incorrect. He was, he was uh, actually persecuted for that. Jewish society gave women little influence. These women who traveled with Jesus had great influence. And they were probably um, great supporters financially of Jesus. The fact that Jesus had any women at all come to him made Jesus socially unacceptable to the Pharisees because they saw that and they said, you shouldn't be doing that. Mary Magdalene was from Magdala which is on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, next to Mount Arbel, little bitty tiny village. She was not the sinful woman, as I mentioned before from Luke 7. And she had seven demons that were, not, they were chased out of her. That doesn't necessarily mean now that she was lived in a moral life. You know, anybody that doesn't know Jesus could actually invite demons in and they could possess. And so we don't know exactly what 
problem was with Mary Magdalene. She had seven demons that were removed from her. And then Joanna, the wife of Cusa, who was Herod's steward, Herod Antipas, was a witness to Jesus' burial and resurrection, as was Mary Magdalene. So they got to see that. And Christ's influence reached out into Herod Antipas' household, obviously. So there you go again. You know, Paul said he was able to minister to the guards, Caesar's household. Now here we see Jesus was actually ministering to Herod's household. And later on in Acts 13, 11, we even find out another person close to Herod Antipas called Manaean, who would later become one of the leaders of the church in Antioch. He was in Herod's household. So apparently the people that worked around the pagan leaders listened to Jesus. Suzanne is a mystery because we don't know anything else about her. I mentioned that. And Jesus brought into the kingdom all who the Father gave him. It says that in course, John 6, 37, men and women of all social levels. So societally, he was limited, but he did very well. And the last limiting factor was he was limited immaterially. And that's essentially in 8, 3, where he says, those women ministered to and provided for him and them out of their pro property and personal belongings. The women were benefactors. In addition to the women mentioned, many others also supported Christ's ministry. So the disciples left everything behind. They didn't bring anything with them, obviously. They just dropped everything and started following Jesus. So they didn't have anything to help Jesus out in his ministry, but the women did. And they were healed. And they started following him, listening to him, and supporting him. It's interesting to note that the small donations that they received from many people, I'm sure, and from the women that followed Jesus, they were able to, John 13, 29 tells us that Jesus and his disciples were able to contribute to the poor out of their money. Now, does that mean they contributed a lot? Well, probably not, but they still contributed. So that was kind of neat. Now, the Lord's ministry demonstrates the biblical principle that 1 Corinthians 9, 14, those who proclaim the gospel are to get their living from the gospel. There you go. So what does that mean? That means to me, the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches them. Does that make sense? And we do that. Do we support the church? Yeah, we do. Do we want that to continue? Of course we do. We continue to support it very well, as you all heard last night if you came to the Sunday evening. So, conclusion to all of this, the Lord Jesus Christ carried out God's sovereign will, did it his way, he didn't do it mankind's way. He ministered where God placed him, he didn't go away, he didn't you know, roam around and go to different places. It might have been much more uh, financially uh, appealing to go to some other place, but he didn't do that. He poured out himself into discipling a few faithful men instead of trying to disciple to many. Basically because what did those men do after he was resurrected? They spread the gospel to the world. Martyred, sure, all of them are John, but they spread the word. He also uh, embraced both men and women from all walks of life. And he also depended on the contributions of those who had benefited from his ministry. So Christ is the perfect model for all those who serve him today. We should be doing the same thing. And that's why so many of the ministries of today don't do that, and they become so obviously not inspired by God, in my opinion. They all look for money. They look for, or they actually preach things that aren't biblical. They tell you things that aren't there, they're not true. The gospel has never said you'll be prosperous materially. You'll be prosperous spiritually beyond comparison to, but to anything. But that's spiritually, not materially. So, you know, it really is a great model for any for ministry today. So anybody have any questions about these three verses? Interesting, right? Boy, can you get a lot out of three verses? Man. I think it's interesting what you said about how when Jesus was there, he healed them all, and it says that several times in the Gospels. And it just seems like that's a shadow of what heaven is going to be. 
that healing for everyone. Sure, absolutely. You bet. And it will need healing because what happens when we go to heaven from the rapture? Great white, not the great white throne judgment, but the Bama seat of Christ. And we'll need healing from that. Why? Because we're going to suffer loss. What does the Bama seat do? He looks at what you've done for Christ and he determines whether you were the beneficiary of it or he was the beneficiary of it. And he'll say, did you really do that for me or did you do that for you? Well, that's what First Corinthians talks about. You know, you'll have uh, gold, silver, and precious stones that you did for Christ, but you'll have wood, hay, and stubble that you got that you did for yourself, and that's going to burn. You know, I have this little pile of gold, silver, and precious stones in this mountain of <laughs> wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll burn like crazy. And it says, "And you will suffer loss." It says that for everybody. So, yes, okay. yes. Anyone else? Okay, let's pray. Lord God, we praise you. Thank you for much information that we get from you. Thank you for showing us the detail, Lord, the fact that Jesus really did things differently, didn't do things the way mankind would do them. And that doesn't surprise us because your ways are higher than ours and your thoughts than ours. You did it the proper way and you did it the way that would be most successful. And certainly it has been. Because your name is known everywhere, virtually in every corner of the world. Maybe people don't understand completely. That's why we need to explain things to them, but they certainly know who Jesus Christ is. There are some that don't, but generally speaking, the world knows because of the way you handled things, the way you did things, and the way the disciples followed your example and spread the word. And interestingly, the primary reason the word spread so well was persecution. Because when people were persecuted, they moved on to other areas and spread the word even further. So Lord, we praise you for the methods that you use and the success that you've had over these many years, 2,000 of them. But now the time is coming to an end when uh, you will actually come back and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And a lot of things are going to happen before that actually kicks off. And so we anxiously await the rapture. We anxiously await the other fulfillment of prophecies. There are so many that will happen possibly before the rapture and possibly after the rapture, before the tribulation starts. So we just praise you that we have all that knowledge and we can anticipate it and see it coming to pass, see it coming into, into reality in our world today. So thank you for giving us all of that, Lord. Thank you for the blessings for each one of us. Thank you for the, the way that you orchestrate our lives and, and show us what to do if we listen to you and read your word. So thank you for allowing us to have that as a possession that we can read and learn more of you on a daily basis. Lord, that's a wonderful thing. We stand in awe of you for your creation, for your word, for your guidance, for your provision. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.